Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. Once again, I'm Lyne Dempsey. I'll be host for this uh, um, podcast, and I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rick and Benny Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina. I'm on the CLEAR Board of Directors as well as the current chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee with CLEAR. As most of you are aware, the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupation regulation. Now, our podcast is a chance for you to hear the latest and greatest in our community, and I'm really happy to be joined today by Deanna Williams. Uh, she is president and principal partner with Dundee Consulting Group. Uh, Deanna has been a longtime member of CLEAR. Uh, I've worked with her on several things. Uh, she's a past president. Um, she's involved as faculty and committee member for several of our CLEAR uh, learning programs. And uh, in 2019, uh, in September, at our annual on, uh, annual education conference, uh, she was awarded the Service Award for Lifetime Achievement for CLEAR. So I'm really super happy to have you here today. Well, thank you very much, Lynn. I'm glad to be here, too. And uh, thank you to our listeners uh, for joining us. And uh, today's topic is uh, what it means to be a good regulator. That's a, a wonderful question, I think, uh, or a topic to discover and, and explore today. Um, this was the topic and theme at a conference hosted by the Professional Standards Authority in the U.K., and it surely resulted in a rich discussion there. Can we start our discussion today with maybe just a general question of what does it mean to be good? Well, thanks. Thank you, Lyon. I, I think in the regulatory context, it's perhaps easier to define what's good by considering what bad regulation looks like. Um, and there, there are examples of regulatory failure that have resulted in the loss of regulatory privilege, and we've seen this across jurisdictions, professions, and occupations. Uh, for example, we've seen the teachers in the U.K. and engineers, denturists, teachers, and real estate brokers across Canada in, in various provinces lose their regulatory privilege. So I think if you look at the, the things that were common in, in the regulators that experienced this, we can almost turn it around and say, well, then, if this happens, what does good look like? So, for example, um, erosion of public trust and confidence is a common element. And I think for a good regulator, we want to strive to be trustworthy, and we want to do what it takes to earn and keep public confidence, not only in what we do, but how we do it. Um, a second common element is that are we willing or um, are we seen to be willing to put public interest above all others? And I think good is consistently asking at all levels of our organizations, what does this, what does this decision or action have to do with the public interest? Can we describe why and how we believe this action or decision best serves and protects the public? And I think most importantly, we should be asking the question, are others likely to see it that way? And I think that is really important. Um, I think it's we also don't want to be seen to be avoiding um, answering difficult questions about what we do or why we do something. Um, but we do want to be seen, if we're good regulators, as genuine and authentic in explaining um, our actions and being helpful in, in trying to have the public and other stakeholders understand those. I think lack of consistency and therefore defensibility is another 
um, problem, and I think good regulators have frameworks in place to ensure that consistent decision-making or um, how we take actions is, is in place. And I think the scrutiny of decisions by other eyes is also a really good practice. Um, I think we need to evaluate ourselves. So good good regulators have evaluative processes in place that, that don't just rely on self-examination but are validated through some other assessment or peer process. And I think that's a really important part of being a good regulator. And then, of course, good governance is very important, and that's adhering to good governance principles, how conflicts of interest are addressed and managed. And I think it's really um, together with our, you know, staff and our um, governors is building a culture of excellence and safety where questions are welcomed and where they're seen as opportunities rather than challenges. And then I think the other point for regulators, which is really important, is we have to be agile and flexible. I think that's really important. Well, that makes great sense. I mean, looking at it from the compliance side of things where, where I'm working, you know, it, it's very difficult to tell um, how I'm doing a good job other than lack of bad reviews or bad performance. I guess looking at it from the regulator's perspective, what ways or metrics or things can we put in place to to know if we are doing good? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good question because in my experience, most regulators do experience one or more of these um, challenges at one time or another. And when when two or more of them can occur at the same time, then that that often will give rise to what we know is a perfect storm. But I think it's important that we don't just make the assumption that we're good because no one has told us otherwise. And I think if we do that, then it puts us at risk of being too complacent. So how we know, I I think we have to um, evaluate ourselves and evaluating what we do through that why lens. You know, if something doesn't fit within our public interest role, then should someone else be doing it? Um, do we seek answers to the right questions? You know, how does this fit within our regulatory mandate? What risks are we attempting to address and mitigate? Um, is this the best action to serve and protect the public? And how is it likely to be seen by others? I think it's asking those questions like that. Part of that culture of inquiry, even in how do we add value to what we do? You know, do we can we demonstrate there's value in what we do? And, um, at, you know, looking at how do we engage our registrants and, or the public? Do we do post-engagement surveys or interviews to see what they thought or what they learned when they sort of contacted us? And so looking at what information are we getting back and then what are we doing with that info? And um, with respect to being adaptable, I, I think that the regulatory world internationally is finding that with so many things changing, um, we really have to have that capacity to be able to be be adaptable and nimble. And how ready, willing, and able are we to be to do that? Um, you know, and even with looking at uh, the culture that we have, um, are we a culture that looks at new and different approaches and tries to be on the front end of change when it comes, or do we 
just take a sort of wait-and-see approach, and if it's imposed on us, then we'll do it. So I think those are some of the things um, that we can we can ask those questions continually in our own organizations to try and get a handle on how do we know how we're doing. But we do have to be, I think, brutally honest and and really look looking at our um, what we do and how we do it. We really do have to scrutinize our um, information that we're getting back when we ask these questions. Because if we're not honest, we're, we're going to probably not be able to go forward with some changes that need to be made. Right. So I guess um, what kind of conditions would facilitate or inhibit good re- regulation? So if we at least have an idea of what we need to ask to find out if we are doing a good job, I guess looking at that from, a, I guess, an inside perspective looking out, what conditions would would help us? do mm-hmm. better or, or worse. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that that's interesting. I mean, I think good regulation is facilitated by a number of things. I mean, a good governance, which I already mentioned. I mean, knowing what good governance means and and adhering to the principles of good governance. So, you know, staying in, in each other's respective lanes. Roles and responsibilities are known and, and respected. Um, our, our regulatory mandate is clear. Everyone's aware of it. I think we have to have appropriate levels of trust um, within our regulatory organizations, but it can't be blind trust. So, you know, just because staff says this is what we should do, um, we still have, as regulatory governors, we still need to be able to ask the questions, well, help me to understand why we should do this if we're not sure. And I think the biggest thing for um, good regulation is that absolute commitment at all levels of the organization to putting public interest above all others. I think that's really, really important. And I think that um, good regulation can be inhibited by by sort of the opposite stuff, by poor governance, by um, weak leadership, both at board level and, and in the organizations, if necessary, relationships break down, and I think we have to do some really tough things as regulators. So if we do those, but all of our necessary and relationships sort of fall off the rails, then we probably haven't been very successful at doing what we need to do. And um, and I think the other thing that really facilitates good regulation is, you know, trying to be good regulators as opposed to just good enough regulators. And I think that, you know, most regulators fit in the good enough category, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. Um, If we're seen to be good enough in protecting the public, then people kind of leave us alone. We don't end up on the front pages of the paper and so on. But I do think that um, we need to sort of as a regulator, regulators everywhere sort of move beyond being just good enough and saying, well, how can we be better? And that's like being courageous in things, challenging precedents that we used to have, um, not doing things because it's the way we always did them, but look at how can we do things better. And if there isn't a compelling legal reason to not be able to regulate further and treat a minimum as a minimum and not a maximum, then I think we should be doing that. So you mentioned um, a little bit on like organizational uh, factors. Uh, I guess how how do you see like human organizational and, and um, systemic factors together um, impacting good regulation? 
Yeah, th- this is a very interesting um, concept, I think. And I think you, they almost, in my mind, I almost see them as three kind of circles, which kind of overlap and necessarily intersect line. I'm, I think that um, as regulators, many the majority of regulators probably exert oversight on the, the human sort of aspect, the persons who practice the regulated profession or occupation. But I think how well we can do it um, and how effective we can be is, is also largely due to, um, you know, the other two factors. So um, if you think of regulated professionals representing the human factor, so they had to demonstrate that they meet certain requirements for initial licensure, and they may have to depend on, depending on the jurisdiction, demonstrate that they have some kind of ongoing competence. Um, you know, we, we look at sort of, that seems relatively straightforward. But then I think, you know, you look at the organizational factor. And not all regulators have the ability to do the same things for different reasons. And often it comes down to capacity, um, either size or financial resources. So, you know, how how much can we do in our ability to exert influence over that the humans that we that we do it. So the organizational capacity I think is really, really important. And then most of our registrants, or at least a lot of them, um, they work in systems. So they're working in some kind of system where regulators often don't have any control at all over. So and when we see professionals and I know in, in the pharmacy world we saw this a lot where the pharmacy professionals would commonly blame the system, um, in quotation marks, in which they practiced as the reason that they were unable to meet the expected practice standards that we were trying to enforce. And some systems, such as like hospital systems or in the pharmacy world, you know, big chain um, drugstore employers, they often had their own systems in place to handle serious issues of concern or complaints through sort of internal processes, which meant that as a regulator, we didn't always know if the registrant um, or if a registrant had been subject of a concerning practice or behavior at all. So I think that there needs to be better open dialogue and communication really between the systems or the places in which our registrants work, um, between our capacity and, and what we're able to do within the confines of our um, human and financial resources and statutes that were that create us, and then also with the registrants themselves that um, we regulate. And I do say I, I do think one other thing is that I think technology has the potential to bring these three circles closer together, and it certainly has changed and continues to change how we're able to interact with registrants and with the public, and I think generally in a meaningful way. Absolutely. That has been a, a big a big change over the last few years. Well, I guess let me ask about this. What about trust? I mean, how do you see, like, the relationship between the virtue of trust and good regulation? I mean, obviously, there's the, the, the clear, you know, if the public can trust us, then we'll be good regulators, but I guess how is this relationship? Yeah, I, I think that um, as regulators, we often make a mistake thinking that we um, automatically are respected and and trusted 
um, because of the authority that's granted to us by the statute. But I don't, I don't really buy into that. I think that we, we gain respect and we're given public trust, not just because of the authority granted to us by a statute or legislation, but because we're seen to be good regulators. And it, in my view, Onora O'Neill, who has done a, a TED Talk, she's an Irish philosopher, um, and her TED Talk's entitled What the Public Doesn't Understand About Trust. I, I think she sort of nailed this perfectly. Like, she says that we're trusted to do certain things or functions, whether or not we're deserving of that trust. And I think in the case of regulators, we do get some trust. People trust us just by the virtue of our position and authority. They they trust us to have their backs when things go wrong. They trust that we know what we're doing and we're going to do the right things. Um, but I think Onora O'Neill's view is takes it a little bit further, and, and I want everyone to contemplate this, is that we, we're seen as, tr- as trustworthy and therefore worthy of the public trust if they see us to be competent, so we know what to do and we do it well. They see that we're reliable, so we make consistent decisions and we can be relied upon to make consistently good decisions, and that I think we're um, honest and we have integrity and and that we tell them the truth, um, we evaluate ourselves, and we report on successes, but we also report on areas for improvement. And I think that is very hard for us to do, um, but we don't just hold our registrants accountable, but we demonstrate accountability for what we do, too. And, and I think I would just end line with the wise words of Harry Caton, who, um, as many will know, used to be the executive, uh, chief executive of the Professional Standards Authority. He said we not only have to do the right things, but importantly, we have to be seen to be doing the right things. That's a great way to uh, to wrap up this discussion. It's been fabulous to speak with you. You're one of my favorite people. I, I love getting to see you at CLEAR, and uh, I just really uh, – Appreciate you being a part of this podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to um, join you today. I've, I've enjoyed it very much, too, and love working with you both. And uh, I want to thank our listeners again for, for joining us for this episode. And uh, please come back for another uh, episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. Um, we uh, we want to also um, point out that our our podcast is available through a lot of different um, avenues. Um, you can subscribe to it on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Google Play. Um, it's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Um, those types of reviews really help us improve our ranking and make it easier for, for new listeners to find us. Um, and sure, you know, be, be sure to tell your friends about us as well. Um, feel free to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming training programs and events. Um, finally, I'd also like to thank uh, our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. Uh, she's our content coordinator and editor for this program. Um, she does a lot of stuff behind the scenes that uh, really makes this work. Uh, Again, I'm Lyme Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.